0: This podcast provides a platform for our guests to express their own personal views and opinions. Some or all of these views and opinions may not be shared by Ben and or Yo.
1: Welcome to the Two Dad to Quit podcast. The
0: podcast where we highlight stories of dads on the other side of divorce.
1: To inspire and give strength to dads going through it. I'm Ben. And I'm Joel. Welcome back
0: to this week's episode of the Two Dad to Quit podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. Come on, you can do it. 98% of our listeners are not subscribed. So please, let's get those subscribers subscribed. We well, can find us on twodad We want to hear your stories. Please contact us. Share the podcast with people that you think that has a story to share. We want to hear from everyone. Reach out on social media. We want to hear your comments. Let us know how can we improve. Let me know if you like this shirt, because right now, this guy over here is refusing to wear it. And <laughs> while we don't have merch yet,
1: I'm going to cut you off. Yeah. Usually we're very polite. I'm very polite and Canadian, but I love the shirt. I appreciate that you took the time to think of me and buy one for me as well. Uh, and actually for our listeners, they're going to, they're going to hear us talk about this in the show uh, where we get into the whole idea of identification. So I mentioned it, I'll mention it now again. The only reason, uh, well, there's two reasons I don't want to wear this shirt. One is I think it's schmaltzy <laughs> for both of us to be wearing dad shirts. Uh, but The other reason is really a little deeper than that. It's that uh, while I'm very grateful to be a dad and it's a big part of my life, I'm kind of moving away from the whole idea of identifying with any sort of one label. So like, I don't want to say that I'm a dad or I'm a this or I'm a that and wearing a shirt that says dad splashed across my chest (laughs) kind of feels like it would move me in the opposite, uh, the opposite direction. So uh, but it's not because I'm not grateful for your uh, for your generous gift.
0: So as we get more and more requests for merch, uh, I happened to be in Old Navy. Shout out! Yeah. And they had a dad shirt, and I was like, "This is the most perfect thing." So I came back and I surprised Yoel with a shirt, and I said, "We're wearing it on the podcast." He's like, "No way!" So
1: please, son- me- I'm not wearing it. You can wear it. <laughs>
0: please let us know in the in the comments if it yeah. is totally dorky where it's both to be wearing the shirt. Is this the kind of merch you'd like? If you like other merch, would you like one that says dad and other things on it or something like that that would satisfy more people? Um, anyway, this week okay. we have Zach Miller. Uh, he is an entrepreneur, um, a guy with a giant beard down past his chest. Um, and um, I don't
1: think he would identify as that either.
0: <laughs> a, a deep thinker. Uh, he was. He has five kids. He was married for 25 years. Uh, 26, I think, so uh, before his divorce. And um, we really got into a, a large amount of topics uh, from uh, therapy, from parenting, from trauma as a child. Um, and you know, he had a lot of inspiration, uh, inspirational things, and um, insights into life. Um, beyond just divorce. And uh, it was a pleasure speaking to him.
1: Yeah, I mean, Zach, uh, I want to say I go way back with him, but it's not that far back. Actually, we met each other. uh, We were both working in WeWork. We had offices uh, right next to each other. Uh, This was going back about three years, I guess, at that point. And I remember one day, he walked into the kitchen there and I said, how are you doing? And he said, you know, not so great. I just separated. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm going through it too. Uh-huh. So we both were, we going through our sort of uncoupling as he calls it. And then subsequent divorces right around the same time. And we really struck up a friendship. And uh, he's really, like you said, he's really a deep thinker. Um, he's an amazing listener. Uh, in his bio that he gave us, he said that, you know, he, 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 he described himself as a friend. And as I, as we get into in the show, uh, he really is an amazing friend. And I think, you know, our listeners will, will, will it, it will come through how he has this ability to sort of, you know, take a question um, that we're asking him and then just take it to a level where I feel like, uh, we've been brought to to new heights just in terms of how he answers it. So, for example, for me, he kept talking about the beauty of the experience, of the pain, of the, the brokenness. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of used to it because I've been speaking to him for so long. Uh, but I think for our listeners, they'll see that there is beauty in that process. As painful as it is, he kind of puts it in a portrait of, you know, putting beauty into it. And I know that sounds kind of hokey, but um, that's because I can't express it in the same way that Zach does. And in terms of him being a dad, uh, you know, he's, he was very open about the challenges he had both in growing up and also how it's manifested in his uh, role as, as a dad and, and some ideas that, um, you know, some things that his kids have expressed to him. And he was very open and honest about it, but he keeps showing up. Uh, he takes very long trips in from where he lives now to Jerusalem, even if it means 15 minutes, uh, not more than 15 minutes, with his children. Um, so he's really a, a two dad to quit uh, guy, and I'm I'm really grateful that uh, that we had him on. Yep. And here we have Zach. Welcome, Zach. Really grateful to have you here. Thanks for doing this.
2: It's good to be here.
1: I'm just going to read. I think this is the, the shortest bio we've ever been given. <laughs> Not that I need one because I know you so well. So I, I told you I'm going to add lib a bit. But let me just read the bio um, that you gave me, Zach, uh, just for our audience. Zach is an entrepreneur, a friend, a father of five, and immigrated to Israel in 2002 from Miami, correct? Correct. So that's, that's the brief bio. I, I, I did want to add my own. Yeah, personal note. Also for the audience, I think it's, you know, just to add perspective, Zach, you, you were married for 25 years and yep. uh, you're a divorced dad as well. Uh, these mm-hmm. past couple, you've been divorced for a couple of years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Lovely. technically
2: it's, uh, it's been a year and a half since we the formal divorce, but it's, uh, we've been, sep- we were separated for a few years before that.
1: Got it. And and I just want to add on, on a personal note, I know this would probably embarrass you, uh, but I feel like, like I must, you know, when you say that you're a friend, um, I think if anybody was to get a hold of your phone and see a WhatsApp voice notes from Yoel Farkas, <laughs> there would be literally probably a thousand hours of voice notes. And you've really been an unbelievable friend to me. Um, for our audience out there in the, the Jewish tradition, there's the civil divorce, but there's also um, the religious ceremony called the get. And Zach, you were um, kind enough to be with me at that very difficult time and you've been with me through thick and thin, and uh, I'm very grateful to have you as a friend. So to say you're a friend is an understatement. You're like the the ultimate friend, and I just really, really appreciate it.
2: That means a lot to me, y'all. Thank you, and uh, I remember that the time we spent together well there. and And it wasn't so long ago that I think that I wouldn't have introduced myself with those attributes, and even that I probably would have led with Father of Five. Um, now I don't lead with that as my identity. It, it has through 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 my life and as as I've evolved, it, it, it has not, it has, it is has, finding a different place in my life. Put it that way.
0: You're actually sitting with two fathers of, three fathers of five here. Wow. Unique in itself. So
2: yeah. So
0: that,
1: that, that's super interesting. So we, we talked about the no structure format of, of a podcast. So uh, I wasn't intending on this, but you mentioned the identity part. And I'm curious about that. Uh, because my friend Ben, you know, Ben and I were talking about this uh, today. Ben's got uh, some swag from his uh, recent trip uh, abroad. He has a dad shirt, and uh, he also brought one for me. And while I'm very grateful uh, to Ben for thinking of me, of course, he's always very thoughtful, and I do like the shirt, uh, I told him that as much as I'm proud to be a dad, uh, and this podcast is very much about being a dad, at the same time, the, the word I used was not wanting to identify with any one sort of mm. title. So I'm wondering if you could speak to that because you just talked about identifying. Like what, what do you mean by that?
2: Well, I think looking back at my story, I was I was married at 20, um, in in a you know, semi-arranged marriage, very religious. And I couldn't wait. I mean, I had such a and we've we've talked about this, y'all and I, but I couldn't wait to become a dad. I mean, that that was I wanted to get out of childhood to become a father, you know, and looking back, it was, you know, it was to right the wrongs. It was to, to heal myself. And, you know, those, those I've been a father for 25 years and uh, my eldest is actually 26 years. My eldest is 26. So <laughs> um, I think I've been humbled. I think I've been humbled since the divorce and since my kids have moved into adulthood that that same drive to be a father, which really came from love, but it also came from hurt. Um, Also injured people, you know, I did my best as a dad to raise them and I love being their dad, but I've, I've been absolutely humbled post-divorce and being able to try to give them what they need to see them better. And that's, that's a lot about me moving over. And uh, if I define myself as dad, that takes up a lot of space, you know? And so I think yeah, I think as I as I've evolved and I've been, I think there's no better word than humbled. Like, you know, my fathering is still core to who I am, but I don't it's becoming less and less like the leading part of my identity.
0: And what would you say is your leading identity now?
2: Man, I'm I'm still trying to shed. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to get rid of the things that weren't mine. And um yeah, I went to Ivy League. I went to two Ivy League schools, and with this this drive to be the best and drive to succeed or whatever that was, and I I don't know who that was or what that was or who I was doing that for. And so, like, yeah, maybe I would have been a colleague. I would have been um, a brother. I don't really define myself that way. I don't. I don't know. I think it's it's an emerging thing for me at this point, um, moving into middle age, really deciding for the first time in my life, like with with purpose and with awareness, like who I am and what I wanna be and what I wanna put into the world. So the things that I mentioned to you in that bio, um, those are things that are important to me. An entrepreneur, um, I think of not just in the business space, I love creating things and creating new things, but I also like that creativity that um, I write poetry. Um, I figure that feels entrepreneurial to me, something that breaks through the monotony uh, of our lives, we get really good at at learning how to do repetition as men sometimes, and so I'm trying to break that with 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 that burst of creativity. Uh, friend, I think is, I think maybe this ties into your question, y'all. Like, in as I've as the divorce took place, I moved out, moved away. Um, there was a distance between the kids. I didn't wake up. I didn't make pancakes like I did for 25 years every morning for my kids. You know, I didn't have that. That level of familiarity with them, and I think a lot of the energy of wanting to to mentor or to care for another comes now in the form of friendship, and not necessarily in the form of fatherhood. Because I'm not, I don't I'm not around my kids very much, and so what's surprising is with friends, you know, the people you can, you know, y'all just mentioned how appreciative he was at that time that I gave him. My kids would never ever say that. So um, friends can, and I think that's a beautiful thing, and like. Given our closeness and our proximity to our children, and the lack that I've had of really understanding what it meant to be a dad, a healthy dad, I can I can I can give my will to give to to friends in a way that's not going to harm them, and I think can help build them in a way that I can never do with my own children. So um, that's humble pie for me, and you know I I, I think it also means me taking a step back and taking a breath and being able to come back to my children. Hopefully, with a more mature, um, more mature dad.
0: Nice. I actually just ate by someone's house, and they mentioned that I had to get you on the podcast. Um, he's like, "Oh, I know that name, uh, Jeremy Brandler, and family." Oh wow, nice. Yeah. So they're like, "Yeah, you got to get him on the podcast." And I came back to you, and I was like, "Hey, is that the guy you mentioned?" He's like, "Yeah." <laughs> I'm like, all right. Well, now we got to get him on.
2: <laughs> Amazing um, from both both sides.
0: Yeah. So your friendship definitely uh, is working and, and that, you know, driving into that is definitely having an effect on people they were, married. you know,
2: I, I, I'm sorry to cut you off, man. I didn't mean to.
0: Yeah, it's okay. Go for it.
2: Well, I think, you know, and y'all and I have discussed this offline about like boundaries and, and mm-hmm. I didn't grow up in a, a home that had clear boundaries. They didn't feel loving. They were like they were erratic. Like I had no, never had a curfew. I could come back. I didn't even have to come back home in the evenings, but you know, if I, I'm making something up, if I didn't make my bed in the morning, you know, that was, I was in trouble. So it was like, it wasn't clear where those boundaries were. And with my kids as, as a young father, yeah, this is the naivete of young for me moving into fatherhood. I wanted to give them everything. I didn't want any boundaries. I wanted to give them just love and openness and freedom to, to find themselves and to find themselves and, um, with friends though, I find I, I'm much better with boundaries. I can say, I can say, and you all and I, when we, when we do speak to each other, we'll leave voice notes for each other and ask permission. Are you open to hearing this? Are you, are you not open to hearing this? Like, um, giving that space so that the other person can react and, and maybe, I don't know what that other person's going through in that day. I don't want to unload or dump on them. And so being able to hold that energy. Um, I think looking back, I think if my kids could put their finger on something about, what they would have liked to see from me, um, I think, they they wanted to see more of a boundary. They wanted to see more of a dad and not a friend, and uh, I see that now. I, yeah, I that mean,
0: that's a, a societal thing. Yeah, that, you know, it's the generation of kids who grew up with really strict parents that they just decided to let their kids be their friends. You know, but it's also affecting society in the same way, right? Yes, yeah. kids don't have those boundaries, and it, it's it has ramifications um societally I think
2: Uh, yeah my my eldest who's 26 as I mentioned um she moved out of the house around 18 and she had a lot of struggles as an adolescent and I remember the last time she lived with us and the day that she decided not to move with us and to move out on her own she had said something to me like gosh you know Abba dad you never had any expectations for me that was part of it you know it was like I actually, I love you. And I want, I believe you can do anything. I, I will support you no matter what. Right. Um, and she has, she has subsequently come out as, as, as non-binary and I can accept her and I can love her, but she's, but you know what she needed? She didn't need that. She said to me when she was 18, gosh, I wish you had some goals for me or some aspirations for me. Cause you didn't have them for me. I never, I never learned how to get those for myself. And I was like, you know, like you know you can come with the best intentions but that's not what that child needed she she wanted um she, they wanted me to, to to be able to do something to hold out a um a goal for them right and uh, and I didn't you know it was like too wishy-washy
0: right there's Go ahead. there's a there's a do you know that book uh I love you forever it's no, so. it's his famous book and it's basically a mother who has a son and the son like causes trouble at every age. And every time he comes back and she says, don't worry. I love you forever. I love you, whatever it is. And my my ex loved that book and her family loved that book. And to me, it was the worst book in the world. Like I hated this you're,
2: book. You're a shmata.
0: I, I just <laughs> hated this book. It was just like, what are you teaching this kid? That he can do whatever he wants and there's no expectations, there are no yeah. goals, no nothing. And to me, it was like the worst book ever to read to a kid um yeah but that's kind of what you're you
2: know we we were read that we were read the giving tree and i used to read that to my kids uh they were young and then eventually i we pulled it um so i I, remember i I remember starting to date right after um after i separated and just slowly to start and and that would be a conversation point at 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 dinners you know like what do you think of the giving tree because like there are some people, it's it's interesting. You speak to people about parenting. People feel very strongly pro and neg- and converse in, in the giving tree, you know, like but at the end of the day, it was a stump, you know, like gave yes. everything to the child. Okay.
0: So I'm a huge Shel, Silver- Shel Silverstein fan. Me too. Um, I also write poetry. I've been writing since I was a kid. Um, uh So I'll be publishing, hopefully, a poetry book uh, soon. Um, I've published a children's book since the divorce and kind of, I was a creative person before, I got married and entrepreneur and and once i got married i was kind of pushed towards structure um so i kind of what what pushed you back into creativity or into no the
2: other way around you said you grew up as a creative Um, and then yeah uh, like almost outside of you you were pushed
0: yeah my new family kind of go get a computer job go work in an office so yeah go get something more stable than youth work and web design and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I've, I've dived back into the creativity and things like that. Um, but Shel Silverstein, I just love, not The Giving Tree, but like Where the Sidewalk Ends and like, you know, Tommy the TV set is one and of- Light in the attic. attic, I
2: have them on my shelf here. So, yeah,
0: yeah, so my poetry is basically, the idea is to be Shel Silverstein-like um, with the, which my whole up right now is just getting someone who can draw for me. Um, mm. But it's that kind of thing. But for like adolescents growing up. Um, and that's the idea. Um, Beautiful. Giving Tree, I don't even know if I even knew about it until much later. Um, but uh, yeah, but he's a his mind to me was amazing. Just the way he he thought and put things in perspective where you have to think. Um, so I was a, I'm a
2: huge fan. That was one of the first he was one of the first authors I ever learned to read and I had his books by my bedside and my mom would come into bed and read them and I'd read them Same. And sure. yeah and wh- what I found him what I noticed in him even as a young kid was there was an adult there's adult component to the child
0: mm-hmm.
2: poetry that he wrote There was this and what and I always took it as, as somewhat melancholy there's a melancholy I think that's that threads through some of his things. And like, we would normally read children's poetry where it's like kind of uplifting and optimistic. There was, there was an adult thing in there. Whoa, there's like something heavy out there that, and I I didn't know what it was as a kid, but I'd always feel like, I feel good, but I also feel icky reading this, you know? Right,
0: so like the TV set is like a perfect example, right? So you got this, you're telling all the kids, don't watch too much TV, but you're also telling the parents, take the TV away from the kids. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Explained perfectly.
1: But, but I, w- I wanted to, to get back to what you were saying, though, Zach, just because we have discussed this offline as well, you know, about what, what your daughter was was saying to you about expectations or having that sort of goal. I mean, wouldn't you say, would you say, though, that it really very much depends on the child? Like, in other words, I don't know if it's a one size fits all. Like, I talk, you know, I've talked to you about my relationship with, with my oldest. I, mean, mm-hmm. I had a great relationship with all my kids, but different. You know, each of them is, is unique. And I've always said that my son, you know, being the oldest and closest in age and just the relationship we have, I really do consider him like a, a, a best friend in, in many ways. You know, there is that idea of the fact that I'm his father, but definitely like the way I was brought up and the way I brought him up are, are very different. So um, so I'm just wondering, and, and I mean, I don't know. I haven't, he hasn't said anything to me, which doesn't mean necessarily that he feels that um, I was there for him as a dad in the way I you know he would have wanted me to be, but I believe I was so I'm just curious like do you think that the whole idea of friendship it, it really depends on the child like it could work in some instances or is it more sort of it's something that doesn't really work generally when somebody's in a role as a father?
2: Well, I definitely don't want uh critique or qualify your relationship with your son. Mm-hmm. I don't know it, and I don't wanna um talking generalities either, but I I can say for my kids, um, I can speak only from my experience, but they, you know, what they complain about is, is, you know, the lack of that patriarchal hierarchical dad, um, powerful dad, disciplinarian dad, but they, they like, they like the friendly dad, you know, they don't, they don't, they're not they don't talk about him much, but he was the one that climbed into bed with them every night and read them stories and tickled them and and carried them on his back and, you know, uh held them when they needed to go to sleep and woke up in the middle of the night to, to, to help my ex nurse them and stuff like that. So they don't necessarily talk about that. So, but I do think they appreciated that. Um, yeah. It's, but it's- I, I think my kids could have used a dad that... um I think somehow my fears and my anxieties uh, didn't stay with me. They filtered through down to the to my kids. And I would do anything to have gone back and, and be able to hold those better. So my fears, my existential fears about money, my existential fears about my capacity as a dad to hold it all together, you know, going to work and showing up and Bringing the putting the food on the table and finding time and energy for me, I don't know where I went for 25 years, and um, I think I think whether in words or in feeling or in my psychology, they 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 felt the weight of my weight, and I, I know I felt that for my mom. Um, I think she did her best to kind of be a a, um, a mom from a distance, but I do feel like her she, she had expectations that she put on, on her kids that um, were adult in nature and were things that we didn't, we couldn't, couldn't help with, couldn't help with her displeasure or, or sadness around not feeling fulfilled with my dad. I, 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 but there was nothing I could do with that as a kid. Um, But I, I felt that she invested me with that. So like, I don't know, I think if I could do a do-over, obviously you don't have a chance to do over, but if I could, it would be to to hold out. And I just actually just touched this. I want to mention this. This was something that was really tender to me. My, my second eldest daughter is thinking of moving out of the house and met up with her. And I've, in this stage of our, of my relationship with my kids, I feel like I am, because I only see them occasionally, the energy that I bring is like, wow, I really see you and I see what you're going through. I listen better. And then I want to encourage them. I, I, for a variety of reasons, this is the role I've taken. I want to encourage them and hold out a vision for them about, I know it's hard. They're all struggling with stepping out into their lives as young adults. I, I see that you can do it. I see that it's hard for you, but I got your back and you're going to be able to do that. And they, I feel like they can really use that, that fatherly support and push. Anyway, I said that to her as she's thinking of moving out. And she, she said, but wait, I'm I'm so hurt. Don't you remember what happened? Like she, she, she was still stuck in the pain of what I I wasn't able to give to her as, as a child. And it was like, I was holding out this vision of, wow, a new life and thing she's still grappling with, um, with what she didn't get, you know, and that that's her journey now is to become an adult and, and to take ownership of that. And, but it was a kind of a wake up call for me too. Cause like holding that out for a child who really still feels like we haven't worked through the, the, the messy stuff. Um, it didn't work. It didn't work for her. So um, that just happened this week. And I, it was something that is still very much alive in me.
0: So getting back to, I guess, your childhood, the background and, and what made, make you Zach and and your upbringing and where you're from. And we, we'd like to dive into that a little bit, kind of give a background picture. Um, you've given us glimpses, but kind hmm. of your view of you know, what made you, you and, and a little bit of your background would be great.
2: So I grew up in, in Miami beach at a time where very few people were from Miami beach. Um, (laughs) uh, son of two parents who had moved there from Detroit and couldn't wait to get away, I think from Detroit as far away as possible. And it was an idyllic childhood. Um, It was great it was like those childhoods like in you know old move 80s movies where you could ride your bike everywhere and everything was safe and (laughs) pleasant yeah (laughs) Yeah. that was that was the childhood we had like parents never worried where we were really and we just had my therapist when I started going to therapy for the first time as as my marriage was ending it was like he's like I think that was beneficial neglect you you know but for me it felt it felt it felt free um my parents ended up getting divorced when I was a young adult. I had just married. I was, you know, so I was, got married at 20. I was maybe by 23, they had divorced. And it was a few year process there. And um, even as an adult, having to having to go through that, that was a big challenge for me and my family, I think. Um,
0: How many are you in your family, kids? So- There's
2: three of us. I'm the eldest. I have a brother and a sister. Um, both still live in South Florida. Um I don't know. There's so many different places I can go there. They're very personal and things things that I'm working on, they're very much, um, like organic for me right now, organic material, but I don't know if they're worth getting into, but like, um, Whatever I, Sure. I was, I was sexually abused as a child by my grandfather. Um, and this was, this was, uh, this was something that I, I had pushed very far down and really started coming out. Um, I became aware of it again around the time that I was going through my own divorce. Mm. Um, my grandfather was very close to me. I looked up to him and, and um, he had lost an adult child. And, and there was a period of time in my life where I looked back, like all the men in my life disappeared. Mm. My dad disappeared. My grandfather disappeared because my dad's brother and my grandfather's son had died. And I only found out 20 years later that it was a suicide. So that there's yeah. still like a suicide, like it's a, it's a, what I thought was very idyllic. Um, you know, when I look back, I was like, Holy mackerel, there's like, this was hard. It was a hard childhood and everyone thought like when my parents divorced, I remember going to to the synagogue and everyone was like, wait, your parents are getting divorced. They're like the Waltons. They're like, you know, they were the nicest, coolest, like friendliest people down to earth and they, they seemed to be happy. And, but there was, there was, it was, there was something really broken behind it. And, uh, and of course, taking whatever I thought I had and moving into my parenthood, like how could I be better? Than, how could I be if I had no vision or blueprint of what it meant to be the type of dad that I wanted to be? Because I ne- I never saw it. And uh, looking back, that was somewhat that's the the naivete of being a child, a young dad. But you know, on the other hand, I uh, did my best too. I I am able to hold those two things together, but. It, Um, other things in my childhood I was um, I was a competitive athlete I was a gymnast as a young kid and then switched to basketball and then when I didn't grow beyond five six I switched to football which I guess doesn't make sense and um, (laughs) I was a relatively good player. I was like top of our city and I, uh, I was getting recruited to play in college and at that time I was also my family from a young age was was on its way towards orthodoxy and so college football, you play on Shabbat on the Sabbath. And so I did that for a couple of years until I, I didn't want to do that anymore and um, ended up stopping football. And it, was, it wasn't until 20 years, oh, 16 years later that I came to, when I was in Israel, um, I found out that there was a, a league here and started playing again. You know, I was literally 18 years older than some of the other people on the team, but it was, it was kind of like a full circle for me. And it was able to close the loop because I really was passionate about football as a kid and, um, And that competitiveness, what, and I'm looking back and there was something very, so I was very competitive. I was in track, baseball, tennis, whatever. I just wanted to win, you know? And it was like very clear to me on a court or on a, on a football field, like what the rules were, you know, how aggressive I had to be. I knew how I could move my body and where I need to be in position, how fast I could run. And, um, I knew my limits and I knew what I wanted and I I just, it was clear there. And I think that's what I loved about sports. And I, when I went into my life about finding a job and a career, then something you said about sort of feeling like your career path was chosen for you. I kind of felt that too. And I just, I I moved into something. I studied economics in college. I didn't have any interest really in in studying economics. I would have liked to study dance or, or art, or I don't know, anything, poetry even. Um, But that just felt irresponsible. Um, So I think that competitiveness and that 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 athlete mentality still plays a big role in my life. Um, yeah, and I've I when I've come to Israel, I think moving to Israel, I came two thousand and two with uh, with the intention to get an MBA and the idea that I'd be moved further into into uh, business and found a way that to podcast and 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 provide write a, a weekly newsletter and started consulting in the financial technology sector, fintech. And I was doing all these like media production on the side, you know, just in the background as a way to meet people. Sometimes I got gigs from from interviewing certain people. And but over time I built up a following and um I decided in 2015 that to, to to leave the the working for somebody else and decided to go out on my own. I had a friend who had invested in us early on. And uh, try to take my hobby. And, and I have, over, since 2015, been making a living from it. We have a, a media company now with 26 different employees around the, around the world. And uh, I get to do what I love every day, which is interview smart people in fintech and write about the trends and the stories. And it is a challenge to run a, a small business. I'm sure you guys know the challenge inherent there. But it's like, I still feel like I'd so much rather do that than go back to, to working for somebody else at this point in my life. Hmm. And that's too. And, sure. I mean, and I'm getting to an age where I'm not sure how hireable I am, like between my yeah. skills and the salary that I would command versus hiring a younger person. I do feel like I mean, I, this is great now, you know, <laughs> yeah.
1: by the way, is there a story behind that? I think I've asked you this also, offline. is there a story behind that beard? Because when when we met, uh, we were working, I didn't have a
2: beard. Yeah.
1: You, 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 yeah. You, had a, you did not shave your head either. You did not shave your head, but you did shave your beard. And you kind of went the reverse. So is there a story? It did. On? on
2: on my passport, whenever I go to travel, I show my passport. They're like, and the Israeli really like guys are always like, oh, it's reversed now.
0: Right, exactly. uh, and just, for uh, you, just so you know, uh, Zach has his head totally bald, shaved. Right. And then he's got a beard. I can't even see the end of it in the in the frame. <laughs> uh, but it's down definitely down past his chest. Think
1: ZZ top, then uh, you'll get a good idea of yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. So I I one of the things I look back at pictures of me and, and my kids can attest to this. Like I, I just changed my look a lot. Um, I have had a beard off and on for, for, you know, since I was, since I could grow a beard at, at 16, I was able to grow a beard. And I just like the look that it, ha- it feels like very manly to have hair on your face. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, there were a couple of years, you all know, when I first met you, where I, I had, I had hair, uh, which was thinning on top and, and no beard. Um, then I shaved the head and then, 2020 came right that was the first year of corona and um I didn't have a beard I went out with a woman who I'm still with who's my partner now Natalie and she encouraged me to grow out the beard she loved she said she loved the way the beard looked and I said I'll grow it for corona you know until corona ends and so I haven't haven't really trimmed it since I don't know if it's still getting longer but uh it is a corona beard for what that's worth
1: <laughs> or a playoff beard if you're Canadian, and uh, yeah, like
2: a playoff <laughs> beard exactly. a rally beard
0: <laughs> the longest uh, November
2: <laughs> so my kids, my kids have been asking me uh, to shave for some reason. my my youngest daughter and my youngest son. I have both been saying, you know, it's time. And they, and they actually, going back to the first question you guys asked me, they're like, once it's that long, dad, it becomes part of your identity. And I think my kids are saying this. It's, and then why do you need it you, need it? you don't need it. You want to be free from that. Like, That's my kids. How old
0: are they? You? Uh,
2: the youngest is 15. And the second youngest is 19.
0: And you have boys, girls, how many of you? Uh,
2: girl, boy, girl, girl, boy. So from 15 to 26. Nice. And okay. another thing that happened, I think that that I think is is um, kind of went full circle on the religious thing. So, like we had becoming religious as a family throughout our our childhood, and um, my mom eventually became uh, married a, a man who be, who became the chief rabbi of Zurich, and um, and she moved to Switzerland to to be with him. And um, so our our extended family had had become religious. Coming to Israel was was it was really hard for me to hold it all together with like the I felt like kind of like the personal crisis that I went through. There was a time where my mother got sick for the last time before she passed away. She died ten years ago. We were going through. We had just bought a home and overbought, and it was it was like choking me. Um, My my eldest daughter, as I mentioned, started going through adolescence and just had a really really hard time. We almost went into the the Galut into. You know, the diaspora, we, we went from Jerusalem to remote and, and those we stayed there five years as, as this sort of explosion happened within the family. And it was um, very traumatic. I know. I know the, the kids still feel it today. Um, but during that time, as a family, we, we, we stopped being religious. And um, I think I'm now at a point where uh, I'm kind of coming back to it in a different way, a slowly and uh, gently.
1: Wow. Is there, is there, is, I don't know if I could ask a why question. It's just kind of happening. Is there something that's, is there an impetus behind that or it's just. I
2: I think, you know, when it, when it, when I decided I couldn't hold on anymore and that was the feeling I really had. I remember sitting in my home of Shabbat and just feeling like I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I have so much on my shoulders. I I need, I need, I need to breathe. I need, I need, I need to, I need a way to, uh, to step out from under what it felt like was this, this really heavy burden of trying to take care of everything, um, and my ex wasn't wor- really working at that point. Um, my I had, my ex and I had decided that she'd be a stay at home mom, you know. For and then it wasn't until twenty, you know, twenty year mark or so that she she started working. It was like so all that burden of five kids in a foreign country with my mom getting sick in another country. Um, and an adolescent child who, who we just couldn't, we couldn't get help for. It was too much. And I said, I, I, I feel like I need to put that aside. And, but I always intended to come back to it. I, I remember saying that to myself, like it was not a permanent goodbye. And so I've always loved learning and Torah and Shabbat and, um, and with my partner now, she also has the same feeling had gone through orthodoxy, but it didn't somehow work for her. And we're trying to find our own way. We go to a orthodox, you know, synagogue and, and pray, and I learn, and um, I have, I have the love in there still, I just haven't found the right community, or sort of the right way to, to do it, so it's funny, because I have the beard, and especially in winter, when I have a hat on, people assume that, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a rabbi, I remember I was driving my son to the hospital last year, and I had a hat on, I was driving through, like, Me'a Shereen, a very religious neighborhood in, in Jerusalem, and people were asking for a, uh, for rides for for tramps for hitchhiking and but when they saw my son who you know who had very long hair and um they just realized something was amiss you know like right it was i wasn't one of them
1: it's so interesting i find that uh you know with there there's this idea you know you, you often hear people say things like you know i'm spiritual i'm not religious or i'm religious you know like what do you have an idea do you have a thought about mm-hmm. that like do you believe you know that there's this do we have to make this sort of separation or it's like you know we could we each find sort of our own way like I just find it this is this actually came up um last night uh, Ben and I ate at the same meal and there was this whole idea of the fact that you know as human beings we're very contradictory right or I don't know if the word is contradictory but you know we can like you were saying you can be let's say you know finding your way back you can be going to synagogue but maybe you're not necessarily, not you or a person is keeping Shabbat or, you know, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Like, I don't know. Do you find that there's sort of this idea this trend of trying to like define spirituality versus religion? Is there any need for that? Or is it something that, you know, that you just kind of find your own way, you know, organically, I keep using that word <laughs> maybe because I heard you say it. But <laughs> yeah.
2: it's, it's a really good question. Um, it's not really one I ask anymore. I think maybe because I'm on this side of things, but I, yeah you know, I always felt like I was a spiritual person and somehow in, in orthodoxy um, it it didn't get fed that desire to feel spiritual. Like it it felt like a lot of um, repetitive um, monotonous type activity and um, life got that, especially when the kids were young and being young dad and going to work. I mean, it's, it's really the rat race, you know, and this, when I, I've gone through that and, and for me, I just felt like at least the way we that I was exposed to orthodoxy which was kind of a yeshivish community that we didn't talk about those things you know we didn't we didn't talk about anything actually when I look back on it we didn't talk about anything I the first talk I had before I got married um was with my rabbi you know we had we had some classes beforehand I went into marriage but not even into marriage the fatherhood that was all I had and it was like I look back and I was like bereft of Any guidance? I learned. I learned on my own. I guess many of us learn on 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 their own. But like, there was no. Why couldn't we talk about what it means to be a good dad in this world? There was nobody to talk to. We could talk about halachot, you know, of bidikatam and and all and you know, seeing if there's blood and separation times. You and your wife, we we learned that, but we didn't talk about. How how do you how do you stand firm in your home when your wife is is overworked? and need something from you and all your kids need something from you and your job needs something from you and how do you do that i don't know i, I didn't learn that in in Hasan class you know like
0: in the <laughs> right.
2: You know. right so so i think what what i'm coming back to orthodoxy with with some spirituality getting back to your question y'all you like and you know, it's hypocritical from an orthodox point of view, but I am picking and choosing what, what, what matters to me and what lights me up and, and where, where I can connect to God. I have, I feel like I have a stronger understanding of God and respect for God. And I think coming back to God was, was, was a, was definitely a byproduct of, of the, the, the breaking and reforming after, after getting a divorce for me. And so, being able to come back to God to have feeling like there's a higher purpose, like there's a reason to be here, um, there's something bigger than me out there. I think that, that that helps drive me now, and that to me that feels like spirituality, maybe, and not and not re- religiosity.
1: What What do you mean by by breaking and reforming? Uh,
2: in, in- I I think I mean I, I don't want to tempt fate, you know, or tempt God, but it's like it felt like I hit rock bottom after after I moved out um maybe there's more to go I don't know please um but there was all my dreams all my aspirations and all my energy for 25 years has been wrapped into this identity that we're talking about being a dad being a husband um and I was best friends with my ex like we 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 loved each other very strongly And, and when she asked to end the marriage, it was like, oh my God, like, I I don't know where to start. And, and I just remember like, you know, the deep cries that I had, you know, coming out, it's like, oh my God, it was, it was a wake up call. And, you know, and what's happened to me, I think when I've had crises, like they, they reflect, not just in, in one area, they sort of mimic each other in all the different areas of my life. So, another financial crisis, you know, another crisis with another kid. It was the same pattern that went on again. And yeah, I remember I moved into a one, uh, an efficiency just down the block for my kids. Y'all you've seen it, you saw it. And it was, I was alone for the first time in my adult life. I went from living at home, my parents' house to, to this, to married life. And I mean, it was like even even the basic things about like how do you spend your time if it's all yours? how do you show up as a dad if you don't live at home anymore and when your kids don't want you or are angry at you? how do you how do you go on a date when you've never done that before? Like all these things were just it was it was, yeah, I, I felt like it was it was a very, very challenging. So I do feel like I kind of broke and broke open maybe, and then have been rebuilding myself since then and that's why I said before I think there's for me the divorce and the subsequent challenges with my children have been um an opportunity to come back as as in a in a different way than I had before not entirely different because I'm still me but in a way that um is an adult me and not and not the the child the hurt child that left my parents home um or the hurt child who was abused by his grandfather the hurt child who Um, didn't see his dad for years and his own dad. And so, yeah, I do feel like, and it's a beautiful process. It hurts like hell, but it is a beautiful process of yeah. Sort of bottoming out really saying like, what's the real me, what's not me, what can I shed and how do I step into my power and my mission in life in a way that, that aligns with, with the energy that I have. Like I was so depleted for energy for so long. I was like, I look back And as much as I was hurt that my ex was leaving me, I was like, well, if she would have stayed, who is she with? You know what I mean? I was just a bundle of fear and and exhausted all the time. I didn't want to do anything. I just, I needed to, it felt like I needed to store my energy so I can get up and go through the same rat race again the next day. That's like, what kind of life is that? What kind of life is that? All right, that was kind of a plumber, huh? <laughs>
1: yeah, no. It's... No, no, I, was, I, I, I knew that Ben had a thought, so I was waiting for Ben to do it. Yeah,
0: I, I that was very deep, though. <laughs> I've, uh, I've called it, you know, when people ask how I'm doing, i just like, I'm recalibrating. Because, I, again, all I've ever wanted was to be a father with a big house, and open house yep. with lots of kids. Mm-hmm. It's still all I ever wanted. So it's about kind of recalibrating so that I can get on my feet enough to, to go after that goal again. Um, but uh, my, my thought was more on, I guess, do you think you could have gotten yourself out of that rat mess while being married or you had to be out of the marriage to do it?
2: Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I, before I answer that, I just want to say, I, I like, I really like that word recalibrate. Um, and I, yeah, but for, for me, it feels like it was more than recalibration. It wasn't, it was, it, there was a crash, uh, almost like the Phoenix, you know, like it really felt like there was a dismantling of the infrastructure, the emotional infrastructure, the social, the psychological infrastructure that I had that I had created to help support me to get through those years. It felt like I totally, it felt like for me more than a recalibration, but I really appreciate that, that term. I like that term. Um. And, and, your question was, "Could I have done it differently?"
0: And could you have done oh,
2: this the marriage?
0: Yeah.
2: So, so it's really interesting. So um, I found this recently. I didn't remember, but I had when when my ex had said, "You know, I, I really want to get divorced." I, it wasn't a surprise. I knew I knew that she had been doing. She was going through her own midlife crisis, and um. And she'd been going to therapy, and one by one, she was sort of redesigning each one of her relationships. And when she came to me, and you know, I knew it because I had seen her doing that. Mm. Um, and I said, and I what I did at that time, I said, Before you do anything, let's I even called it like marriage 2.0. I mean, and I found this presentation, I made a presentation, of, it was a business plan, right? <laughs> Here's what we're gonna do to get our marriage back on on. Still on. the economist. <laughs> yeah, it was like I, I forgot that I actually created this, but I found it, I found it in my hard drive the other day, and it was like, and I had pictures of us in there. It was like making sure we have dates every week, doing the things that we hadn't gotten to that we talked about. You know, we, we had this plan going to therapy and we, for the first time in 25 years, and we can get into why we never went to therapy, um, which I think was a mistake. We went to a therapist, a marriage therapist and my ex sat down and said, you know what, I'm happy to talk about anything here except saving the marriage. and And there was just, there was no willingness. There was no willingness to do that. But I have to say, also, um, she had one point as we were as we were decoupling. At one point, had said, "I'll consider it if you'll fight for me." And I remember sitting. We were at the dinner table. The kids were asleep, and I was like, "Well, what does that mean?" I feel like every day I'm getting up and I'm I'm tackling the beasts on the way to work, and I'm slaying them and bringing dragging home the meat and putting it on the table and you know, that, that story of like poor me, poor Zach, the overburdened young father. And, and I said, I feel like I am fighting for you, you know? And she, she wanted, she wanted to feel like I'm not just showing up every day that I'd actually would fight. Um, I didn't quite know what she meant. And I think I was too spent to, to give it to her. And so looking back, I want to fight now for the people I love. I didn't have the chance to do that then. I think that's important. I, I and I don't think that I could have done that in the marriage, and that's I think it's a really powerful question to ask. Ben, like I even thanked my ex afterwards, maybe a year, year and a half afterwards. I said thank you because I think you did what I don't, I wouldn't have done, and I think in a way it 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 freed us to 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 do the work that I don't think we had the capability of doing together. Hmm. Uh, and,
1: hmm. and how is that? if it has at all, how has that impacted your current, you said you were with Natalie, with your current partner. Have you found that you've, there's, I don't know if it's lessons or just experiences that you had previously. Have you found that uh, you're conscious of that in your new relationship in terms of developing or growing or how you interact with, you know, with your partner now, have you found yourself being conscious of, you know, I don't want to simplify it by saying not repeating the same mistakes. It kind of sounds right. like I'm blaming. It's not about blame, but sort of just growing into who you are now. Um, have you do you see a difference in your relationship now and how you interact with Natalie?
2: Well, that's a that's a powerful question. Well, let me let me I can answer it like this. I definitely see that that pattern of showing up and not showing up with my full presence. Like I'm there, you know, you can't blame me. I'm at the recital. I'm at the, I'm at the soccer game. I'm, I'm showing up like my dad didn't show up, you know, at home during dinner every night I'm showing up, but there, there's a, there's a, there's a nuance. There's a something that I take up space. And, you know, as I do that, and I didn't, um, and I, that pattern has followed me into, into new relationship. I'm doing my best to show up, but there's something injured in me. I think that that has a challenge showing up, and I can show up, I can talk the right things, I can I can write the letters, I can show up in person sometimes at, at the right time, but there's something about showing up with, um, hey, I'm here, I'm really here in the room, I'm not over here worrying about this, worrying about that, and I can see you, and, and I see that you're doing great, or I see that you're struggling, and I, I can talk to you about that. We never talked about anything. So, I am more mindful of it. That said, I think, I think it is, it is a pattern in me. Um, I just went on a NWTA new warrior training um, for the mankind project. You all I was telling you about this. It was a fantastic training. It was two weeks ago. It was a two, three days, two nights with the mankind project here in Israel. And one of the things they had us do was, was through a series of processes really come up with our mission statement in our life, which is like, you know, and we did a very simple one, which was like a vision plus action is a mission, right? So, and, and they had ways to work up to this. but what they also had us do, which I'd never done before, was our shadow mission statement, which was like, if you're, if you could t- write a mission for your shadow and the shadow is that repressed part of you that, you know, I've put, you know, that I'm repressing that I don't want anyone to see, but that I'm managing the whole time. That's afraid, that's hurt, that's injured, whatever, but it is influencing me if it had to write a mission statement, what would it be? You know, which really, so, so that, that man who couldn't say I'm going to fight for his wife of 25 years is still in me. And, and so, yeah, I am, I am more conscious of it. I am consciously working against it when there's part of me, when it, when conflict hits um, I avoid and I I move away and I'm learning on my own and, and through the grace and, and love of my partner to to step into it and and it and it feels like hell and it feels like death and it feels almost impossible there's sometimes like I'll stick in a fight where we're talking and and I just I can't even say there're no words that come out I can't think like I'm really in a in a trigger and um but we're also learning how to she, she sees that in me and it bothers the hell out of her um, because she just wants to thrash it out and and, and move on and Zach, for whatever he, he, however he's learned to, to deal with conflict, Zach runs away and protects himself to, and to, to, to regain his strength to come back and fight again the next day. But that doesn't leave anywhere for the two of us to, to, to find a way. So, so as it's coming, I'm able to talk to her about it. I say that I, that is coming to me. I feel like the need. I need to go separate. Can we deal with this here? Um, that's helped a lot. Um, her understanding and growing understanding of, of why I do this, that has nothing to do with her, that that it's me, helps, and we've actually just been playing around um, from a a recommendation from a friend with some Imago dialogues, have you guys talked about that on the show?
1: Not on the show, I I actually, I mean, it was already, you know, too little, too late, but uh, my ex-wife and I went to some Imago therapy, but I think already by then, it was just, (laughs) you know, maybe had it been earlier, maybe it would have been more effective, so I'm not not but it was interesting.
2: Right, I don't think right. I don't think a save anything. But it, what it does is provide a, um, a safe way in conflict to have a conversation about things. So if I can just say what it is, it's like sure. basically, yeah, you, you, one person takes a takes a, says, "I'm really feeling this," and you try to talk from I statements, even if it's even if someone else is bothering you, it's I'm feeling this. So it's it's clear that I'm handling this, and then at that stage, the other person mirrors you. Um, to say back what they believe that you, you heard, what they heard. Sorry. So, so at first, and, and, and that takes care of 85% of our conflicts. We just want to feel like somebody else is listening. You know, Sorry. I don't want to load the dishwasher that way. Okay. Got it. Got it. You know, like, okay, that's your stuff, but, but it enables you just to kind of move on from that. Then um, the listener, and and it's one way talk, meaning there's no fighting. I, it's my session. So I'm going to tell you what I feel. And the other person kind of plays the listener role. So it's very clear. You're not, it it keeps, it keeps tension down. Um, The next stage that the listener does is say, Oh, that makes sense to me because um, where, where they take it one step further from hearing you to being able to understand you a little bit, like looking at, that makes sense because I I see that you have that pattern. And then the last stage is empathy where the person is supposed to say, I can see how that's so hard for you. I can see why that would make you enraged where they actually put themselves in your shoes. And there's something about it. I don't think it's magic, but there's something just about the way it's set up that enables us to, to, instead of, I find when we fight, it can be over the littlest things and we end up going down into just the drack and the mud and the, and it hasn't like the, the original point wasn't really that important, but we're fighting for death, you know, to the death. This, this helps us stay um, up here, you know, and it makes us, it, it, sitting across from somebody and hearing that really opens your heart towards the other person as opposed to just wanting to make them pay
1: hmm. it's so interesting because you, you know zach i'm uh, and ben knows as well like i'm in a relatively new relationship and also i'm noticing a lot of times we'll have these discussions and i'll say something and she'll say to me like you're not responding to me right now y'all like you're okay. you're you're in a, you're in a completely different world, whether it's the past and, you know, I'm not going to get into specifics here, but it is super interesting to see. And, uh, you know, there is that dialogue that I, that I feel that I could have now, whereas in the past, kind of like what you were saying, like, I, I just wasn't there. And interestingly enough, I, I remember my then wife saying to me as well, I think I've shared this with you many times in the past where she said the same thing. I wanted you to fight for me. And yeah, to this day, I'm kind of not really sure what she meant, but I, I really relate to what you're saying that, Um, I just, I, I I didn't have that space anymore. Whereas now I feel that I've kind of have that ability to sort of take a step back and sort of observe myself, but she helps me as well. So it's, it's just super interesting. But, uh, but this therapy you're talking about, I mean, I did it, but very, very, you know, very briefly.
2: So I I never actually did it with therapists. I just read how to do it. And we started doing it between ourselves and it seems to work.
1: Oh, wow. That's awesome.
2: Yeah. Yeah. One thing I want to say about the fighting for it, um, when I went on the first date with the with Natalie, my my beloved, who I'm with now, um, we went to we went to the Midrachov to downtown Jerusalem, Ben Yehuda Street, and listen, I I had never really been on a date like I, I went on on Shaduchim dates, you know, in yeah. 1995, right. yeah, um, but I hadn't dated, and uh, so we went out, and I remember we were waiting by the bus, and we were sitting by the bus. And somebody, some weird guy, sat next to her on her side, and and he he was there was something not right about him, and he was he was looking at her, and he was his energy wasn't wasn't cool, like there was something wrong. He was ogling her, and she felt it, and I also felt it, but I didn't I didn't do anything. And she said, "Why didn't you do anything?" It was our first date too. She's screaming at me in the middle of the street, you know. And it was like, "Why didn't you do anything?" This weird guy sitting next to me, what? And I'm like. I don't know. I think that I think the sixteen-year-old Zach would have stuck up for you because that's natural. Like I'm with this woman. There's some guy there who's threatening. Why wouldn't I put her behind me and 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 separate them? But there was something about the domesticated Zach, um, the hurt Zach, the older Zach who, who that it didn't it didn't seem natural that I would do that. And I was like, I didn't have a good answer. Yeah. To this day, I don't have a good answer. But so that that I think after my after the mankind project, I really decided like I think for what I want to work on now in my life, is is really stepping into fighting for the people I care about, showing up for the people I care about, even if it's hard, especially because it's hard. It's always hard.
1: Hmm. And that includes whether it's your partner. Or th- 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 would you include your my kids? Yeah, my kids good.
2: too. Yeah. So I, I I moved to Partizhana recently to where my partner lives and. It's, you know, it's an hour and a half to two and a half hours each way to Jerusalem. And uh, I've been going twice a week just to show up. And And I get, I get, sometimes I get 15 minutes with one of them. Sometimes I get an hour with another. Sometimes they won't see me that day. Um, but I'm trying to be present. And, you know, with the time and energy and money that it takes to do that, it's, that's, I'm showing up, I'm showing up. That's all. I think that's the best I can do to show up the, in the best way that I can. it's upon them to be able to accept me. Um, but I'm working at it. And, and I see, you know, it's, it's a slog, but I see, I see the initial roots taking place that they're feeling that I, even though I move further away from them, that, um, that I'm around if they need me, that they can call me, that they can, if they've got an issue and they, they need, they want someone to support them and hold them with it, they can call me. Um, we're not out of it yet, but I think yeah, I think it's, it's the beginning stage of them feeling what it means, what it feels like to have Zach, the divorced father, previous young father, now middle-aged father, um, with a new partner who's really cares about them and who's really working on himself to be able to show up better for them. I think that they're learning that too. And uh, I hope we get there. So we...
0: You know, a big part of the podcast is focusing on your journey and, and how you're, you know, still living life, even though you went through this traumatic experience, um, but also it, giving your kind of ideas of what got you through it during the process. Mm. Um, so a lot of our listeners are are going through a divorce or maybe going through a divorce or thinking about it um, actually from our statistics there's actually 20% are women that are listening to it. Mm. Um, so, you know, even giving a glimpse of, you know, what the guy goes through, even if he won't like share it, but you know, a lot of, you know, you might be able to share now what they might be going through in the future. And maybe they'll, you know, think twice about putting the other person through that and have opening conversations based on, you know, one of our episodes would be, would be great to hear from you.
2: That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, Things that I found useful getting through the process that helped me. Um, Therapy. I think there was, you know, my, in my family, my father's a doctor, but there was sort of this idea that only sick people go to therapy and um, (laughs) stigma. it's, it's nuts. Um, Therapy is good. Don't be afraid of therapy. Um, people feel like, oh, I'll be in it forever. Well, you know, if you're working on yourself, you are going to be in it forever. Once you start working on yourself, obviously there's, you know, there's, it never ends, but you you know, you don't have to stay in therapy your whole life, but, but that process of of waking up and trying to be a better person, like that does, that does take time and do, not to be afraid of that. It feels like death. It feels like horrible. You will, you will survive. Um, like tactically practical things that helped writing helped um, exercise helped. Mm. Um I'm doing um, like breathing and somatic exercises. Um, so I do I do breathing every morning. Um, I got into yoga, um, which really helped as well. Uh, in a class and not doing it on my own. I think the social aspect is really important of that. Um, I'm doing qigong now instead of instead of yoga. Um, I found that that's even better for me, breathing and movement and doing it with intention. Um, I started doing. Uh, this Mankind Project, um, I highly recommend that for men all over the world. It's, not, it's a nonprofit. sorry. What is that? It's called Mankind Project. Okay. Um, about 60,000 people from around the world have gone through this process of what they call the new warrior training. It's its an initiation into manhood. There's some wanky things about it. Um, I don't want to talk too much about the wanky things, but the, the beautiful things about it is that they have free um, some male support groups all over the world. And there are a lot of men that I speak to. Well, like, why, why are you looking at through the lens of being a man? Like we're just just a human, but there are certain things that I know that I struggle with, um, that have to do with my masculinity, whether it's, it's being a dad, right? Like most, a lot of men learn how to be dads from their moms. Like I did. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I want to learn what it means to be a man in this world, to walk this earth with, you know, with the, with the genitalia that we have, you know? <laughs> and, and so the mankind project is this beautiful thing of men from 18 years old to, to 85 years old. Um, they do a training, a two-day training, which is beautiful, but then it's, there's ongoing of just showing up in monthly groups and talking about your problems. And, and, and the main thing about mankind project is it gets you to talk about your shadow and and all everybody has shadow in the world. We, we, we repress. So I repressed so much of myself um, throughout my life that and some people's shadows are bigger than their light, you know, and uh, but but there's no way you can move and become a better person if you don't address your shadow. I don't I don't think cognitive behavioral therapy will get you there. I think the shadow stuff is 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 the most important stuff. And it's the hardest stuff. And it's the stuff that can take years to be able to work through. But you have to that's that's the key through which you move into into life, I believe. Um, and then I also started co-counseling, which which my current partner got me into. Um, and this is also kind of a, a, a movement all over the world. I think it's been around since the '60s, where it's 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 a community of people who want to make the world a better place, a less uh, violent place. And um, and what you do is you do bilateral counseling um, with peers. So it could be that I call up Yol and say, "Hey, do you have time for a session today, Yol?" He say, "Yep, 20 minutes." And the idea is that, you know, we just need someone else to listen to us. And and the listener does very little talking, but the sharer, the idea is to get to a point where you, 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 you bring out your mode, emot- you, you take the feelings and bring them into emotion so they don't stay stuck in your bodies. It could be crying, laughing, screaming, shaking, yawning. Um, and I've done that. I joined the Jerusalem group and I've, I've had a chance to work with other people here in Israel where, uh, yeah, stuff builds up, you have another partner, you're able to be able to talk about it, shake it, laugh, cry, get it out of your body and move on. And it's, um, that's been very useful as well. So those are things I think that have really gotten me through.
0: Nice. Um, And one other thing uh, that we'd like to talk about is uh, your too dead to quit moment, a moment where you were like, man, I am the dad, I'm I, You know, I don't want to do this. I don't want to wake up in the morning. I'm just I'm doing it anyway, or a time when you felt the proudest. Um I actually just went a, on a trip with my kids uh, to California, and we went to SeaWorld and we went wow. to four shows and I got three of them as the volunteers. And so wow. we got in the front and each kid got three out of five got into the shows, and I was like, all right, I made it. They're gonna never forget. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so that, that awesome.
1: Cool.
2: awesome. I wish I had something like that. I mean, I do, I, I took my kids last summer, last fall to, to New York, uh, three of them to my nephew's wedding, um, in Crown Heights, which was beautiful. And we had a great time, but that wouldn't be the time that I would choose as my two dad to quit. This one's a downer, but I, I feel like this was, this is what, <laughs> I guess the whole thing was, a downer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my eldest, as I mentioned, had a really, really hard adolescence. And I, I guess this was around the time she was 16, 17 years old. Um, particularly Mose Shabbat, Saturday night, when the when the Jewish Sabbath goes out. That was a very stressful time for her because it meant going back into 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 real life, into school. And she would have panic attacks. Well, we didn't realize there were panic attacks then, but but that's that's essentially what would happen. And um one thing that she felt could help her was uh going to a park in the middle of the night and this is in the winter and she just she would lay in the grass and she would she would hold trees just to like ground herself she was very sensitive to to trees and 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 earth and being able to feel like she's not floating away that she's on the ground and there was one time she asked me to do it it was three o'clock in the morning and uh i was exhausted i had to go to work the same the next day and I just remember getting in the car with her and saying, "I'm there. We're doing it." Like no hesitation, and uh, we went. You know, and it was freezing. It was the middle of the winter, and and I was sitting here in the middle of nowhere with my struggling daughter, and and we were hugging trees together. And there was there was no reward. There was no, you know, there was no Disney World at the end of that. I'm not. I'm just saying. In, in and there was no one even to recognize of anyone that. Wow, that was a good that was, that was a good job, Zach. You did a good job. Cause you know, everyone else was asleep and, and my daughter was in it. She was, you know, and so that felt to me like a, a too dad to quit moment because yeah, because of those things, it wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a joyous moment and it wasn't um, it wasn't an appreciated moment, but it was a needed moment where I showed up when my daughter needed me. So 100%
1: that's
0: beautiful. Uh, and then the last thing we'd like to leave with is if you can give advice to any of those dads that are going through divorce, thinking about divorce, um, something, you know, just you would give to them to get through it uh, and, uh, you know, let them know they're not alone.
2: Yeah. yeah so I would give them a, a blessing. I don't really have advice, but the blessing would be that um, you have what you need to get through it. Um, you may not feel it now. Um, you may be brought to your knees to be able to feel it, but you, you will feel it at some point. And, but that, that process is gold. That process is the process that's going to rebuild you and to not be afraid of it. Um, in some way you have to surrender to it. Um, and to know that you're not alone in this, like that's one of the most beautiful things when you start to do men's work. Um, and you share like on this podcast, where you share you know, mankind project in a circle. Most of us are dealing with very similar issues. And so most of us have not been taught how to, how to be men. Most of us aren't equipped for a divorce. Um, most yeah. of us can see a divorce coming, you know, like with the headlights at us, but there's nothing you can do about it. Um, but you'll get through it. Your children can get through it. But the only way to do that is if you're healthy and you're, and you're in your power. And so you know, that's, it's a wonderful, as much as it hurts, as much as it's an opportunity to like, feel the darkness, it's also opportunity to, to step into your power and into your calling and your mission. Like that's beautiful. And things break, but uh for the most part, you can put some of them back together.
1: Amazing. Beautiful. Amazing. Thank you so much, Zach, for, for doing Thank
2: this. Thank you guys. Yeah. Amazing. Kudos to that you do this. This is a great service for for men everywhere.
1: Well, we wouldn't be able to do it without you know, people such as yourself generously giving of their time. So really appreciate it, Zach.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And uh, for
0: all of you, thank you for listening. Um, We'd love to get you on the podcast. If you have a story to share, we think there's something to take from anyone's story. Um, Please share it, like it, subscribe, uh, contact us. We're Too Dead to Quit on social media, web, everywhere. Please don't be shy. We really want to hear your comments. and we're, we're looking forward to sharing this with you and many, many more stories. Rock on. Thank you for listening to the Two Dad, to Quit
2: podcast.
0: Available at quit.com. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode.